Hello everyone and welcome back to the MTG Novels Project. The MTG Novels Project is available both on YouTube and as a podcast version. Check the description for details. A legal note, this is an unofficial audiobook with original content belonging to Wizards of the Coast. This content is covered under the 2017 Wizards of the Coast fan content policy. Listener discretion is advised. We are continuing with chapter six of Planeswalker. They didn't talk much after that. Zancha let the fire burn down, and Rat made no attempt to revive it, choosing instead to pull his borrowed cloak tight around his shoulders. As little as he seemed to want to talk, Rat seemed reluctant to give his body the rest it needed. Three times Zancha watched him slump sideways, only to jolt upright. Exhaustion won the fourth battle. His tin touched his chest, and his whole body curled forward. He'd find himself in a world of pain when he woke up. Sancha touched Rat's arm gently, and when that failed to rouse him, eased him to the ground, which was dry and nor worse than whatever he might have slipped last. He pulled his arms tight against his chest. Sancha tried to straighten them, but met resistance. His fist and jaw remained clenched even in sleep. She thought that kind of tension was unique to Urza, to Urza's madness, but perhaps Rat's conscience was equally guilt-wracked. Whatever lies he told her and assessor, he'd been through hard times. His stained and aromatic clothes has once been sturdy garments, cut and sewn so carefully that their seams still held. Not slaves' clothing. No more than his shoes were slave shoes. They were missing their buckles, and had been shredded where the fetters rubbed against them. If Zantra were wiser in the ways of mortal misfortune, she might have read Rat's true history in the moonlight. Sancha knew more about the unusual aspects of a hundred out-of-the-way worlds than she knew about ordinary life anywhere. The two-and-a-half centuries she and Urza had spent in Dominaria was the most time she'd spent in a single place, though she taught herself to read and traveled at every opportunity. All she'd really learned was the extent of her ignorance. Zancha's day hadn't been so exhausting as Rat's. She could have stayed awake all night, and perhaps tomorrow night, if there'd been any need. But the night was calm, and although Rat's plight proved that there were slavers loose in Efuin Pekar, tonight they were in empty country, far away from towns or villages. Sancha heard owls and other night birds. Earlier, she'd heard a wildcat yowling, but nothing large. Nothing, nothing to keep herself from settling down near Rat's feet, one arm touching his chain, so she'd know if he moved unwise during the night. Were their positions reversed, Zancha would have tried to escape. In her long experience, the unknown had never proven more hospitable than the known. She hadn't thought of escape in all the time she was a new among Flexians, although that, she supposed, had been different. A better comparison might be her first encounter with Urza. After Gix's excoriation, Zanja had hidden among the four sphere gremlins, but they'd eventually betrayed her to the fane of flesh. The teacher priest caught her and punished her, and sent her to the furnaces. Zanja worked beside metal sheath stokers. The hot, acrid air had burned her lungs. She'd staggered onto the impossible burdens they piled onto her back. It was no secret. The remains of Gix's newts 
were to be used up as quickly as possible. But when Sancho's stretch game, stretch, strength gave out, it was a burnished stoker who stumbled over her fallen body and plunged into a crucible of molten brash. The fire priest wouldn't have her after that, so the fanes sent Sancho to the arena, where Frexian's warriors honed their skills against engines and artifacts made in Frexia, or creatures imported from other worlds. She was assigned tasks no warriors would have dared, feeding the creatures, repairing damaged engines, and destroying those artifacts the warriors had merely damaged. Her death had been expected, even anticipated, but when the fearsome wyverns with their fiery eyes and razor claws went on a rampage that reduced a hundred priests and warriors in oil cake rubble, Sancha the Newt had survived without a scratch. Since she wouldn't die, they failed to kill her. The planner priest decided that Sancha had the makings of a dodger. Before he closed his eyes in sleep, the ineffable had decreed that Phyrexia must be relentless in its exploration of other worlds, and in the exploration of whatever useful materials, methods, and artifacts that exploration had covered. Exploration was the easy part. Uncompliate Phyrexian, shredded, sheathed in metal, and bathed in glistening oil, was thought was thorough and precise. It was incapable of boredom, and when ordered to examine everything, it did exactly that, as accurate as the end as it had been in the beginning. But confronting with something they'd never seen before, lesser Phyrexians often became confused. And though they were rough bumbling, they frequently destroyed not only themselves, but whatever they'd been examining as well. It was an intolerable situation, and necessitated an unpleasant solution. Whole colonies of gremlins were endured, even nurtured, for their canniness and spontaneity. But no gremlin was cannier than the remains of Geeks' newts, the ones that refused to die. There were twenty of them summoned to the fountain, as identical as ever, they couldn't drink the glistening oil, so they were bathed in it while rows and ranks of complete Phyrexians watched in silence. A mobile planner police described a new destiny. Go forth with the diggers and the bearers. Gaze upon the creations of born minds. Decipher their secrets so they may be exploited safely and for the glory of the dominion of Phyrexia. There'd be more. Complete Phyrexians never suffered from fatigue during an endless oration. They had no tongues to turn thick or pasty from overuse, and of course, they lacked imagination. Never mind that Urza ridiculed Zancho's imagination. She had had more than the rest of the Phyrexia rolled together. Standing beside the fountain, slick with glistening oil, Zancho had imagined a wondrous future. Her future began in a world whose name she'd never known. Perhaps the searcher priests had known its name when they came to investigate it. But once they discovered something useful to Phyrexia, the name of the place where they found it was of little importance to the team of diggers, bearers, and dodgers sent to exploit their discovery. Once that ambulator portals were configured, it didn't matter where a world truly lie. One step forward into the glassy black disc, and the searcher priests unrolled across the ground, and whoosh, the team was where it needed to be. When the team finished its work using excavation or extraction, they pack everything up and stride into the ambulator's nether end identical to the primate, except that it lacked the small configuration panel. And moosh, they were black where they started, waiting for the next assignment. The ambulators were horrible artifacts, suffocating, freezing, and endless, and a dodger's work was worse than cleaning up after the warriors. 
the Jigger Chief would lead a newt and a gremlin or two of whatever artifact had roused the search of Priest's attention, then sit back at a safe distance while Dodgers did the dangerous work. Much of what the team excavated was abandoned weapons, frequently still primed and hair-triggered. The rest, while not intended as weapons, still had a tendency to explode. Zancha quickly realized that gremlins weren't any more imaginative than Phyrexians. They were simply more expendable. The first time outside the nether end of an ambulator, when she saw a blue-gray gremlin reaching for the shiniest lever in sight, Sanja had decided she'd work alone and, th and thrust her knife through the gremlin's throat before his imagination got her killed. The diggers hadn't cared. They only cared that she found and disconnected the tiny wires between the leather and a throbbing crimson crystal deep within the artifact. After the bearers got the nearest crystal back to Phyrexia, a herald had conducted Zancha to one of the great obsidian veins of the first sphere. When the planner, planner priest, second only to the demons in Phyrexian's complex hierarchy, interrogated her about the excavation and the insights that inspired her to disconnect the wires, they demanded that she attach the crystal to the immense body of one of the planners, which Zancha did, having no other alternative to obedience. No one was more surprised than Zanza herself when both she and the planner survived. The hair gave her a cloak of golden mesh and a featureless mask before conducting her back to the fourth sphere. For the first time, Zanja looked like a complete Phyrexian, provided she stood still. Diggers and bearers had been complicated with scrap, bits of brass, copper, and tin. Their leather patches joined sleek oil with every move. They were not pleased to have a golden-clad newt in their midst. Her life had never been gentle, but everything Zanja had endured until then had been derived from indifference. It wasn't until she'd been rewarded by planners that she experienced personal hatred and cruelty. Beneath Zanja's arm, the iron chain shifted slightly. Her fingers clamped upon the shifting link before her eyes opened, but the movement was merely rats lifting, shifting in his sleep. The blanket of clouds had unfurled between them and the moon. The land had gone quiet. Sancha sniffed for storms, or worse, found the air as empty as before. She looped her grip on the chain without releasing it completely. Rat would run. Though he remained fettered and had no hope of survival in the open country, he'd try. Try to run as long as he believed freedom lay somewhere else. There's no word for freedom in Phyrexian. The only freedom a Phyrexian knew was the effortless movement of metal against metal, when each piece was cushioned in glistening oil. And even that freedom was inaccessible to a flesh-bound newt. Battered and starved by the diggers, who depended on her for their survi own survival. Sanja had taken refuge in endurance. Though none of the worlds she visited matched the moist green world in her dreams. In truth, the Dominar itself didn't match those dreams. The worst of them had more been more hospitable than Phyrexia. And if perversity was a mere measure of accomplishment, then Jansa took perverse pride in surmounting the challenges he found at the nether end of each ambulator portal. Once an artifact lay exposed in front of her, she'd forget the digger's prejudice and the beater's brutality. Every artifact was different, yet they were all the same too, and if Zancha studied them long enough, whether they be by Urza, Fraxian, or some nameless artificer on a nameless world, she'd eventually unravel their secrets. Zancha would never be truly complete. 
but she had achieved usefulness. She'd become a dodger, the fifth dodger, by virtue of the Crimson Sphere, which began a revolution in the way Phylexia powered its largest non-sentinate artifacts. A few more finds, and she'd become the second dodger, Orma Hurzra, though in her mind, thoughts she remained Zancha. The teacher priests were right about some things. Gix's newts were too old, too set to change. There are no fixed word for happiness and contentment. Sorry, and contentment meant glistening oil. Yet, as Orman Hurzra, Zancha found a measure of both. The other might despise her, but with her gold mesh cloak, she was untouchable, and they needed her. Within her carapace, Phyrexians were alive. They understood death and feared it more than the newt did, because without flesh, compliant Phyrexians could not heal themselves, and scrap-made Phyrexians were almost as expendable as newts. The next turn point in Zanja's life came in the windstep mountains of a world with three small moons. The artifact was huge and ringed by the rotting flesh of a bored folk who died defending it. Countless hollow crystals, no two exactly alike, pierced its dark, convoluted surface. Flexible wires had spiraled among the crystal, each supporting a concave mirror. When the mirrors moved, sound and some light emerged from the hollow crystals. The searcher priest had been certain it was a weapon of unparalleled power. The sable it, the searcher had told her, prefer it for bearing back to Phyrexia. Do not attempt to dismantle it. The boring folk fought hard. They could not defeat us, yet they did not retreat. They died to keep us from this artifact. Therefore, we must have it, and quickly. Sancha didn't need reasons. The artifact, any artifact, was sufficient. Solving each artifact mystery was all that mattered to her. What the priest did with her discoveries didn't concern her. From a Newt's vulnerable per perspective, a new weapon meant nothing. Everything in Phyrexia was deadly. Ignoring the corpses, she'd approach the artifact as she'd approach all the others. But the wind crystal, as she named it, wasn't a weapon. Its crystals and mirrors had no power except for what they borrowed from the sun, moon, wind, and rain. Then they gave it back as patterns of sound and light. The artifact reached deep into Zancha's dreams, where it awakened the notion of beauty that couldn't be expressed in Phyrexian words. Zancha refused to prepare the artifact as the searched priests had demanded. She told the diggers and bearers, it has no secrets, nothing that Phyrexian can use. It simply is, and it belongs here. She, Orman Hazra, and the immobile planner priest of the first sphere, had given her golden cloak. She thought her words would have weight with the scrappy diggers and bearers, and they had, in ways, Zancha had imagined. They stripped away her golden cloak and beat her bloody. They destroyed the artifact, every crystal, every mirror. Then they told the searchers that Azrad Hurwa was to blame for the loss of the weapon that could reduce whole worlds to dust. Battered and scarcely conscious, Sanja had been dragged to the brink of the same fumarole where Gix had fallen to the seventh sphere. One push and life would have ended for her, but Sanja was made from flesh, and the planner priest had believed that flesh could be punished until it transformed itself. From the funeral, Sanja was taken to a cramped cell, where she dwelt in the darkness for some portion of eternity, sustained by memories of dancing light and music. When the priest thought she had suffered enough, that dragged her out again. The searchers had found another inscrutable artifact in another nameless world. Zancha was Orban Huzra. She was still useful, and she had the wit 
the deceit to grovel before the various priests, begging for her life on any terms they offered. They sent her back to work, never guessing that a lowly newt, mourning the loss of beauty, had declared war on Phyrexia. The diggers suspected, but the great priests paid no more attention to the diggers than they did to newts, and suspicion notwithstanding, diggers who worked with Orman Husra lasted longer than those who didn't. As soon as she finished with one extraction, she'd find herself assigned to another team. Thirty artifacts in twenty-two worlds after being dragged out of her cell, Sancho War was going well. She hadn't destroyed every artifact they'd sent her to unravel, but she'd lost several, and rigged several more so that the next Frexian who touched it never touched anything again. She'd grew quite pleased with herself. The diggers were already in place when Zancho arrived, alone and na nauseous from the Avalar trek. On her 23rd world, a rattling digger made of metal and leather, all of it slick with oil that stank rather than glitched, led her to a human cave where rolls of smoky meat fat lanterns marked the excavation. They might be Frexian, the digger said as they approached the main trench. At least that's what Zancho thought it had said. Its voice box worked no better than the rest of it. Zancho peered into the trenches, into a pair of far-fosted eyes, each longer to her skull. She sat on her ankle, slowly observing what the searchers had found this time. They might be Frexian, the Dizzy repeated. Whatever the artifact was, it wasn't Frexian, and neither were the ranks and rows of partially excavated specimens beneath it. Frexians were useful. Tender priests complicated newt flesh according to its place in the ineffable's plan. And then they stopped. Function was anything. These artifacts had no apparent function. They seemed at first and at second glance to be statuses, metal reproductions of the crawling insects that, like rats and buzzards, flourished everywhere, including Frexia. And though Zanja had no liking for things that buzzed or stung, what she saw reminded her of more of the long-destroyed wind crystal that the digger beside her. I am told to ask what you need to secure them for bearing. Sancha shook her head. Mostly the searcher priest looked for sources of metal and oil, but Phyrexia had none of its own. Artifacts were a bonus, but the gems and precious metal that complicated the higher priest came to Phyrexian forms of plunder. It didn't take Orz Orman Herzra to secure plunder. There had to be more of it, and to find it, Sancha seized the lamper and leapt into the trench, where the stronger but less agile digger couldn't follow. At arm's length, she realized that the insects were fully articulated. Whoever made them to move, she touched a golden plate. It was as warm as her own f flesh and vibrated faintly. Forgetting that they were on the trench rim, Sancho ran to one of the second art rank artifacts. It too was warm and vibrating, but unlike the first artifact, it had a steel-toothed mouth and steel claws, as nasty as any warrior's pincers. In addition to its golden carapulse, an impulse Sancho tried to bend the ridge of the golden plate. A long, segmented antenna around, whipped around Sancho's arm and hurled her against the trench wall. But not before she had the answer she wanted. The plate hadn't bent. It looked like gold, but it was made from something much stronger. Sancho had another less wanted answer too. The artifacts were aware, possibly sentient, and at least partially powered. Move, move, the royal tractor shrieked from the rim less warning or concern for a damaged companion to the reaction to the unexpected. Sure enough, a reeking handful of diggers and bears came clattering 
some through the trenches and others along the rim. One digger in better repair than the rest assumed command, demanding quiet from his peers and explanation from Orman Hosra. Simple enough, it moved and I didn't dodge. A cacophony of squeaks and trills echoed through the cave as the diggers and bears succumbed to laughter. The better, ba- the better made digger whispered for silence. They've not moved. They did not move. Sancha deployed her welted arm. Sometimes there is no arguing with flesh. Theirs did not have articulated faces, yet the digger chief contrived a word look. You will secure them, it said, a command, not a request. I will need wire, Sancha began, that hedged half-formed plots complicated in her head. The searchers must have known that the shy insects were more than plunder, but the diggers and bearer, despite their trench excavations, hadn't known that artifacts could move. She stared at the huge frosted eyes, fiery in the reflected lounge of lights. The insects were in Phyrexians. Perhaps they could be enlisted in her private war against Phyrexia. If she could get them through the intact and without getting killed herself in the process. Strong wild, she amended, and cloth, thick heavy cloth, and food, something to eat, and not reeking oil. Cloth, the dear world in confusion, only newts and glebins and the highest strata of priests draped their bodies in cloth. Unmade cloths, Sancho suggested, or soft leather, something, anything so I can cover their eyes. The digger chanted to himself. The tender priest could replace the newt's eyes, if its destiny called for a different sort of vision. But diggers had flesh eyes, within their mobile faces. This one had pale blue eyes that widened slowly with comprehension. Diggers will find, it said, then spun its head around and issued commands to its peers in a rapid, complete, Phyrexian way that Janta could understand but never duplicate. Fully half of them rumbled immediately towards the cave mouth. The jigger chief turned back to Zancha. Orman Huzra, begin. And she did. Walking in the trenches, examining the insect artifacts already excavated, Zancha counted the gold humming creatures that were visible. She climbed out of the trenches and measured the rest of Dixit with her eyes. The cave could easily contain an army. Zancha hadn't been on this world long enough to know the measure of its day, but it seemed safe to think that she'd at least a local season, maybe a local year to get her warriors ready for their war. Zampa approached the golden swarm cautiously, starting with those she judged less likely to settle an arm or neck if she could make a mistake, which she did several times before she learned what awakened them, and what didn't. An isolated touch was more dangerous than a solid whack on an unarmored underbelly. They are more sensitive to her flesh than to the digger's shovel hands. She saw problems in sending her army to fight back in Phyrexia, and studied the artifacts by herself. Whenever Rain drove all but the few diggers and bearers to their shelter beneath the ambulatory. Rain, especially a cold, penetrating rain, was a poorly completed Phyrexian's greatest enemies. The bearers would retreat all the way to Phyrexia once a storm started. Sancha could have won her private war with just a few of the mud-shrilling, gully-washing dwells to threaten the artifact cave as the world's seasons progressed. Cold rain and, and mud weren't Sancha's favorite conditions either. She commandeered pieces of digger scrouched cloth, which is in fact clothing for folk generally taller and broader than Sancha herself. They rotted quickly in the wrench and weather, and when they grew too offensive, Sancha would throw the cloth on her fire and find something fresh in the scrouger piles. Her need for fricks and vengeance had led to any empathy for born folk. She successfully dismounted one of the smaller insect artifacts and learned enough of its secrets to feel confident that they would awaken 
as soon as they emerged from the Frexian's prime end of the ambulator. After that, it was a simple matter of folding their legs in Nintendo, binding them with cloth and wire, and ordering the bearers to stack them in pyramid layers near the end, end for eventual transfer to Frexia. It never actually occurred to her that the bearers would act on their own to carry the artifacts with them when they next escaped the rain, and by the time she realized they had, it was already too late. There was a searcher preach towering above the diggers and humans. Orman Huzrath, the preacher called in that menacing tone, only high-ranking Phrixians could achieve. You're told to secure those artifacts for Phrixia. You're warned that inefficiency would not be tolerated. You failed in both regards. The artifacts you subverted were dismantled before they could cause any damage. The many-eyed searcher was between Zanch and the cave mouth. There's no getting past it or getting through the mass diggers and bears. If you've been tempted to run, which she wasn't, Sancha might dream of lush green worlds, but she was Frexian, and though she learned how to declare war against her own kind, she hadn't learned to disobey. When the priest called her forward, she threw out her to tools and climbed out of the trench. Diggers and bearers formed a ring around her and the searcher priest. They chatted among themselves. This time Ormand Hozoa had gone too far. I would not survive the searcher priest's wrath. Dig, the searcher priest commanded, and she understood that they intended for her. Sancha dug the damp ground until she scratched out a shallow hole, as wide as her shoulders and as long as she was tall. There's nothing worse than a too short, too narrow prison. Her fingers were numb and bloodied, but she clawed the ground until the searcher priest grew impatient and ordered a digger to finish the job. When it was done, the hole tapered from shallow to waist deep along its length and it was exactly the length and width Zansha had laid out. She'd been through this before, and with a sigh, jumped into her hole. Her feet landed in the deeper end, ready to be buried alive. Not yet, the searcher priest said, as a length of segmented wire unwound from its arm. Zansha realized it was an antenna from one of her, her insect warriors. She climbed out of the hole, prepared for pain, prepared for death, because she was certain that the searcher priest had lied. Only a few of her warriors had gone to Phyrexia, and undoubtedly all of them had fallen by now, but at least one of them had dam done damage before it fell. That was victory enough, as Zancha's wrists were bound by a length of wire slung over a tree limb to keep her upright during the coming ordeal. It had to be enough, as the first last stroke of the antenna cut through her ragged clothing and a second cut deep into her flesh. The diggers and barrows counted the strokes, Lesser Phyrexians were very good at counting. Zancha heard them count to twenty. After that, everything was blurred. She thought she could hear the cry of forty and fifty, but that had been a dream. She hoped it was a dream. Then it seemed that it was a stroke that didn't land on her and wasn't counted by the diggers and bearers. That too might have been a dream, except that there were no strokes after that, and no one pushing her into what would almost certainly be a permanent grave. Instead, there had been a bright light and a great noise. A storm, Zancha thought slowly. Rain, driving the diggers and bearers and even the search of priests to shelter, whose wounds had begun to hurt. Drowning would be a better, easier way to die. Without the diggers and bearers to do the counting, there's no way to measure the time she slumped against the tree limb, unable to stand or fall. In retrospect, could have been a very long time before she heard a voice spoken in the language of her dreams the language that had given her the word for beauty. Zancha didn't notice that she didn't fall when her arms did, and when the rain never fell. The voice filled her head with comforting sounds, 
Then a hand that was both warm and soft like her own touched her face and her closed eyes. When she woke, she was next to where she was in a grave of pain and fire, but the voice in her head telling her that fear was unnecessary, even harmful to her healing. She remembered her eyes and opened them, looking at the flame specter with many colored eyes. Sancha thought of Gix, and for the first time in her life she fainted. The next time Sancha woke, the pain and fire were gone. She was weak but whole, and lying on softness such as she had never felt since leaving the vats. A man hovered beside her, staring into the distance. She had to strengthen one word and chose it carefully. Why? His face worried as he stared, turned grim when he looked down. I thought the Frexens would kill you. Beyond doubt, he spoke the language of Zancha's dreams, the language of a place where she had been destined to sleep. He knew the name of her place, too, and had correctly guessed that. The Frexians meant to kill her, but she hadn't seemed to recognize that she was also Frexian. Waves of caution washed through Zancha's weakened flesh. She fought to hide her shivering. A piece of cloth covered her. He pulled it back, revealing her naked flesh. His frown deepened. I thought they'd captured you. I thought they would change you, as they changed my brother. But I was too late. You bled. There's no metal or oil beneath your skin, but they'd already made you one of them. Do you remember who you were, child? Why did they take you? Did you belong to a prominent family? Where were you born? She took a deep breath. Honestly, honesty under the present circumstances seemed the best course, as happy with kicks. For surely this man was a demon. And just as surely, he was already at war with Frexia. I was not born. I have no family. I was never a child. I am the old man Herzra who calls himself Zancha. I am a Frexian. I belong to Frexia. He made white knuckled fists above Vance's face. She closed her eyes, lacking the strength for any other defense. But the blows did not fall. Listen to me closely, Zancha. You belong to me now. After what was done to you, for whatever reason it was done, you have no cause for love or loyalty to Phyrexia. If you're clever, you'll tell me everything you know, starting with how you and the others plan to get home. Zancha was clever. Gix himself had conceded that. She was clever enough to realize that this yellow-haired man was both more and less than he seemed. She measured her words carefully. There's a shelter at the bottom of the hill. Take me there. I will show you the way to Phyrexia. And that was chapter six of Planeswalker. Thank you for listening. Please like, subscribe, and follow on YouTube or your chosen podcast platform. Thanks for listening.